Welcome back, listeners. This is the Jilted Indian Podcast, and I'm Anju. Pooja. And Miranda. And we come with love and courage to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes, the last time that we talked about Indigenous people, at least at length, on our podcast was during Native American Heritage Month. And this was in a November in our second season. Am I correct about that? I believe so. And we talked about three uh, tribes that we wanted to know more about. We talked about the Hopi, the Taino, and we talked about the Cato tribes. And if you are interested in checking that out, Go find us in season two. Today, we're on Indigenous Peoples Day, and we wanted to talk about where we are right now uh, in our awareness of Indigenous people in North America, how they're being treated, and how we can get from where we are now to truth and conciliation of Indigenous peoples, where they are restored their humanity, land, rights, and such, equality. Yeah, I think it's important for us to do some reflection because we made some commitments of what we were personally going to do to honor the legacies of Native peoples and Indigenous peoples in that episode. And so this is basically a, you know, how far have we come on that mission, uh, on that? And and Miranda, before we move on, Anju, why did Miranda say conciliation and not reconciliation? Well, I was referring a quote, which you guys will hear later, from um, Mark Charles, but as he put it, um, it, reconciliation implies that there was a period of harmony before, and clearly there was not when it comes to the colonizers and the Native Americans who were here previously. Yes, listeners, it's an under-the-shade-tree episode. (laughs) (laughs) Inadvertently. But hasn't it always been it's like always a shade been, issue, an yeah. issue of shade? Yes. Ugh. If you've never joined us before, we have specific opinions about colonialism and imperialism. And if you're down with that tribe, miss this episode. <laughs> I mean, we are all products of colonialism and imperialism, so obviously we have strong feelings about it. Yes. So in terms of what we've learned since that episode and how we've engaged in And I don't want to say cultural critique because it's not commenting on America's culture. It's America's institution, right? So on on the journey that, you know, it's small things you learn. So things I've learned is when people say lowest man on the totem pole, there's no such thing as a hierarchy on a totem pole. So to have somebody low means nothing. That's your colonialist perspective on something. Just because it's vertical doesn't mean there's a bottom, right? You know, I've got to say, um, ever since our last episode in Heritage Month, you brought to my attention Dr. Adrienne Keene, who is in culturalappropriations.net. Yes, yes. That's her website, and she co-hosts a wonderful podcast, even though some of the episodes run over an hour and a half, um, (laughs) called All My Relations. And she co-hosts that with Matika Wilbur, and she's of the Swinomish and Tulalip peoples. So Dr. Adrian Keene and Matika host a podcast called All My Relations, and I highly recommend it. It's very good. Yes, and one thing that I have done is watch her Twitter feed, and she checks people all the time. It doesn't matter. The, the one thing I can count on indigenous people doing is holding everyone's feet to the fire. They don't give a fuck about 
political tactic. They don't care about this by you know bipartisan thing, uh, or he, they don't care about like okay, we need to pr- protect the progressive left because they're doing the most for us. No, they like actually hold everyone's feet to the fire. And so when someone says something like "spirit animal." She will bring it up or she will retweet people who are shitting on that. Most recently, I, you know, noticed there was some makeup line called in, in, in this makeup line that isn't even a popular brand, but it's, everything's popular thanks to Instagram beauty. Don't say their name. Yeah, don't say their name. I'm not going to say their name. But um, Spirit Animal was the line. Yeah. Oh. And it was retweeted. And I'm so I'm just like, what? <laughs> I feel like this is also a good time to point out the whole blowback about the um, Salvage perfume thing Ooh. with Johnny Depp. Yeah. He who played Tonto yes. with a quirkiness and nothing to do with Native people's traditions. So, um, yeah, uh, bring it up, Anju. I'm too mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess it was about six weeks ago, I think, that Dior... Um, in 2019, debuted their new perfume. So I guess it's a it was an old one called Sauvage with Johnny Depp as their spokesperson. And the whole thing was basically about like appropriating Native American culture and incredibly egregiously awful and got immediately called out for it again in 2019. Okay. So whenever things like that happen, I think of Christopher Lloyd's character in Back to the Future going, what? Here is it just kind of like every time, every time something like that happens, like, okay, when it comes to campaigns, it's not like this, oh, I'm thinking I want to make this, you know, post and I want to, you know, you you know how like normal off the cuff appropriation happens. Like, I think I'm going to get dreads for this post and post it and, you know, and then that's how that happens to have, and this has happened with fashion lines before in indie and you know south asian indian culture as well it takes an army of people to create a campaign like that i mean speaking of dior we live in dallas i went to the dallas museum of arts dior exhibit Mm -hmm. and there's a whole room full of culturally appropriated outfits that you that are not costumes that were made to rock down the runway for people who have thousands of dollars to wear in public ostensibly they were not works of art right otherwise they would only have been in museums they were meant to be worn and when I say culturally appropriated I mean hanbucks and saris and native wear and then we saw that festival wear is essentially the appropriation of tribal wear right yeah and here's the nutty thing like are the same people who are making these campaigns and these clothes and these lines are they also writing for the New York Times Because I feel like they're just doing it to make people angry so people click on it and bring them, like, seemingly inadvertently bringing them press, you know, for for pissing people off. I think that pissing people off is the new clickbait, just being irresponsible with headlines and stuff like that. So every time I see, like, either you have no people of color friends, like, you have no sensitivity readers, or you're doing this shit on purpose to make people mad. And I feel like that Sauvage... um, I feel like the Sauvage campaign was like that. And to get a celebrity 
who was recently exonerated for like the whole Amber Heard slat, you know, versus Johnny Depp thing, that he would be a little bit more mindful about what he does with his fame from this point forward. Not even that. The blowback from his rep- portrayal of Tonto should have taught, made him think twice about this. Uh, going back to what you said earlier, I wanted to co-sign something about, you know, who you follow on Twitter influences your worldview. And I'm lucky for everybody in this world, follow so many black trans women and so many Native American people, Native Alaskan people and Native Hawaiian people who talk about the plight of colonialism and how it has deeply affected their um, their community. So one of these facts that I learned is that communities who have to exist under assimilation have a higher rate of suicide among young people because they have to have that quote-unquote foot in two worlds thing because we just can't be accepting of differences and require assimilation, right? So I wanted to, to talk about a little bit about, you know, the history, just a little bit to put some things in context about why we're going to be kind of angry in this episode <laughs> when we talk about things. So we all know that the Civil War was fought um, in the 19th century and in 1865, you know, Emancipation Proclamation, all that stuff. In 1870, the 15th Amendment was ratified, giving everybody the right to vote, except Native American people. Why, you ask? Because it was not until 1924 with the Indian Citizenship Act, also known as the Snyder Act, that Native American people was granted U.S. citizenship. Prior to that, in 1887, the Dawes Act stripped Native American people of their land officially. What that act did was said that if you were Native American in a specific area, you are entitled, they're going to break up your tribal lands. You as a family unit is entitled to 160 acres. As a single person, 80 acres. Any surplus will be sold to non Native American homesteaders. It's how the West was won. To be clear, so that was breaking up the Native American lands that they already owned, apportioning it out to the individuals within that tribe, and then selling off the rest to non-Native American people. Yes, westward expansion was predicated on breaking up Indian territory, quote-unquote Indian territory. We had herded all the people in that space from the south and the east into, quote-unquote, Indian territory, and then we conquered the west. So then in 1948, through some um, Supreme Court cases, the right to vote was, you know, expressly given to Native Americans. That's 24 years after they were given citizenship. They were like... You can't penalize people for speaking a different language, the poll tax and all that stuff that happened to Native people as well. Language tests, all those things, right? So that happened. That was fixed, quote unquote, fixed in 1965 with the Voting Rights Act and all the subsequent amendments to it. But then in 2013, we have that wonderful case called Shelby versus Holder, which dismantled the Voting Rights Act and what's known as the preclearance requirement for certain jurisdictions because they have a history of discrimination and gerrymandering, voter suppression, and vote fixing. They required clearance from the federal government to proceed with election maps and things like that. That was taken away in 2013 with Shelby versus Holder. And then you saw in 2016 and up until now, new restrictive voting rights, um, voting laws coming in place, such as you must not have a P.O. box, you must have a residence 
an addressable residence to vote, to register to vote. If you know anything about Native American reservations, there's P.O. boxes, there's trailers. That's not how people view their land. And so you're, putting again, putting your imperialistic and colonial views on people who were self-governed millennia before we got here, right? And you're saying our history, our 200 years of occupation on your land trumps how you did government. We didn't assimilate to them. We conquered them, right? And I say we because we benefit from that as immigrants today, right? Every day. Every day. And that's one of the things I kind of want to go off about, one of the, not go off about, one of the things I've learned since then is when you, when you center Native people's perspective in the basics, the foundation of this country, you would not say things like, we're all immigrants, because we are not all immigrants. We came over here and conquered people, right? And I'm including myself in this because I identify as an American. Americans, future, past Americans came over here and conquered existing people, called it discovery, and said it was manifest destiny to rule this land. This is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about Mark Charles, who is an indigenous Navajo uh, speaker and writer and now independent presidential candidate for the United States of America, the highest office in our country. His TED talk, it's a TEDx talk in which he talks about how we the people are the three most misunderstood words in U.S. history. And this is a damning TED Talk. It does not exclude a single type of person. It talks about progressives. It talks about conservatives. It talks about um, how, okay, uh, Trump or Hillary, and how he was like, we were, we were, you know, fighting for anti-racist, but we weren't, talking about what it would mean for a Hillary, you know, for Hillary to be our president and how it would just, we would be implicitly maintaining the status quo, which is continued marginalization of indigenous people. Yeah. And it all goes towards that um, slogan that the current occupant of the White House's propaganda campaign won um, that's on hats, red hats everywhere, the red hat slogan that the current occupant of the White House was saying America needs to be made some made great again, whereas with Hillary, she said that uh, America is already great. And to a Native person, again, if you are, you know, if you're open to other perspectives, learning, growing, awakening um, things, if you look at the founding in, in from a Native perspective, what he's saying is we the people is not all the people, essentially. That I cannot co-sign how much you listeners will link it. You need to listen to this. Mm -hmm. You need to. It's about 17 minutes of your day. Watch it when you're in the toilet. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but you must watch it. So the way this TED Talk starts out, well, at first he got my attention when I was actually digging around for indigenous podcasts, and I was just, it became a rabbit hole. I looked at link after link after link, and I looked at news articles, and then I found a very, very recent announcement of Mark Charles's you know, running as an independent candidate. And when I clicked on his presidential campaign, you know, video, I found the link for the TED Talk, uh, the We the People, the three most misunderstood words in U.S. history video. And I started watching it. And you know that feeling where you think you're woke and you think you, you know 
I, I, I've never assumed that I know all, but it was, it's that moment, that gut wrenching moment where you see differently. And I feel like watching this Ted talk, I now see very, very differently. And you know, how many of us are lost in the make sure we get a president who's electable, make sure we get a democratic candidate who's electable. And that's all on our mind. That's all in the news cycle. If it's not the treason that's being committed by our uh, president at the moment, the news cycle is just wrapped in that. And I think this Ted talk took me out of that and showed me a much larger picture and I immediately sent it to Andrew and Pooja. I was like, this is fire. We've got to talk about this. And this is, you know, Andrew and I drove over in <laughs> her car and we were listening to it on the way. And just there were moments that even listening to it again blew my mind. And he has receipts and receipts and receipts. So how does he start this TED Talk? Well, he starts out by talking about, um, first of all, he greets the audience with the four tribes of his family and he honors the tribes that originally stayed on the land and these were in northern virginia so in alignment with that so i want to honor the tribes who were the original inhabitants of the area that is now called texas and that includes apache bedai kohiltakan cato comanche Humano, Suma, Piro, and other Eastern Pueblos, Kroankawa, Kiowa, Kitsai, Tawakoni, Tonkawa, and Wichita, and tribes who moved and migrated into Texas after Europeans arrived include Alabama, Cherokee, Cushada, Kickapoo, and Tigua Pueblo. So I thought it was beautiful how he talked about the tribes who were there on the land in which he was doing this TED talk. And I felt moved to mention all of those names. We will link all of those tribal groups to our notes. Um, I think it's very interesting to honor the tribes on the land because do y'all, I don't know. Do y'all feel dirty sometimes when you think about it, when you think about when, when you're forced to reflect on who was here first, what happened on this land and what we constantly drive out of our consciousness every single day because of the nine to five and whatever it is you have to achieve, you know, do that day. Whenever you reflect on indigenous people, do you ever feel that dirty feeling? Thoughts of that are probably the root of my depression (laughs) and my anxiety and my nihilism because, no, I think about that all the time. And I think in the sense that since 2016, immigrants and refugees have been under attack and refugees all over the world since prior to that. I'm a lot more conscious now about what it feels like in that situation. And it forces me, like if I'm in a quieter moment, I'm like, but wait a minute, Native American people have been in that situation since 1492. As you were saying that, I was just like, yes, we need to honor all Native peoples and not just for their existence because we stole from them. Our existence would be so much different if we had acknowledged their self-government, their autonomy, learned their ways and how to coexist. We could have built something better than brought over a failing system in Europe over here, you know? So... Whatever. Cosine. <laughs> Cosine. 100%. And then the other thing 
is, I mean, he talks about that all the, I mean, we basically just did gave you the sandwich wrapping of this Ted talk where at the very end, he talks about the place where we start from the place where things get better is when we all have a shared view of our beginnings. And I don't think that we have that. We have history books that say one thing we have from that in which there's a complete erasure of the suffering and just the verbiage, the way that native, you know, the indigenous people are described and the lack of humanity they're given in the history books. You know, we have that view. And then we have the view all the way over to people who are like, hey, this is their land. What are we going to do to make this right? And that's where we got truth and conciliation from. As we mentioned earlier, it's from this Mark Charles TED Talk. So after he mentions his tribes, his family tribes, in which part of his Dutch. So when he talked about the Dutch side of his family, even when he was talking about his Dutch part of his family, he was speaking in his uh, Navajo language. I thought that was adorable and it gave the audience a laugh because he basically called them the wooden shoe people. And it was, it's just a cute moment. And then he uh, followed that by honoring the three tribes in Virginia, which we'll link in the show notes that he honored them were there that they were standing on their land. I, I wouldn't, uh, I just got mad all over. I'm going to be the voice of anger in this episode. Mm. So he's speaking Navajo. One of the few things that all Americans know about native, native peoples, indigenous people to America is that the Navajo codebreakers essentially won one theater of world war two for us. When was that? The 1940s, 1945, 1948 was, they came back from the war and still didn't have the right to vote mm-hmm. in this country until 1965. I do not understand how indigenous people hasn't burnt this country to the ground. Like women, African-Americans, indigenous people, like Anyone the institutions who's... weren't built for us. And if you're out here foot soldiering for the institutions at this point, like, do you know our history? It's just nutty because you know how um, people are painted as savages or as these, you savages. know, savage. My <laughs> you can't take or colonize anyone who expects it right did any of these like tribes expect this to happen did africans expect that to happen did indians expect that to happen who expects colonizing what how on earth haven't they destroyed everyone as a history buff i I just got mad all over again because what was that tweet we were talking about on on twitter anju where it was like you get really sad knowing that all the literature from the old, from the golden age of all, only 5% of everything that has ever been written survives today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that makes you so sad. And you're, you know, we're talking about history and you're talking about what you just said. And we're just like, we don't have the history of the native people of this land to know what their dynastic rule was like, if there was even that, because we're talking about, you know, a system of government that was in this country do we know how the Native Americans warred against each other? Was it like Europe conquering land? Was it, or was there intermarriages for peace? Was there, what was that culture? What was America like before the Europeans got here? Where is that history? Do we have it? What has survived from it? Less than 5% probably. Because we exterminated those damn people. 
Part disease, guns, ships. Willful murder. Willful murder. And dehumanization, isn't, and isn't that how it starts? There's those posts about how you know your country's headed toward genocide. And it has an X mark and it says, we are here. Mm. Like, this is orchestrated. And so back to Mark Charles's TED Talk, he talks about the Constitution. And he talks about basically how it is a white supremacist document. And he goes through how there's no mention of women. There's no mention of people of color, obviously. There is, it's all about white male land ownership and how the Constitution was built to make sure that all of these things stayed in place. And we would like to play a clip for you uh, right now. So it's just after where he mentions the multiple dozen, you know, several dozens of times that male pronouns are used in the Constitution. Now, a few years later, our founding fathers wrote another document. They started this one with the words, we the people of the United States. This, of course, is the preamble to the Constitution. However, if you read just a few lines later, down to Article 1, Section 2, Article 1, Section 2 is the section of the Constitution that defines who is and who is not covered by this Constitution, who is and who is not a part of this union. If you read Article 1, Section 2, the first thing you will note is it never mentions women. This is important because if you read the entire Constitution from preamble through the 27th Amendment, you will find that there are 51 gender-specific male pronouns in regards to who can run for office, who can hold office, even who is protected by this document. 51 he, him, and his, and not a single female pronoun. So we first have to note, Article 1, Section 2 never mentions women. Second, it specifically excludes natives. And third, it counts Africans as three-fifths of a person. So who's left? Well, white land-owning men is who could vote. Now, we have to ponder this for a moment. The reason our Constitution was written, the purpose of our Constitution is to protect the interests of white land-owning men. So today, we act shocked that women earn 70 cents to the dollar. This shouldn't shock us. Our Constitution is working. We act surprised that our prisons are filled with people of color. This shouldn't surprise us. Our Constitution is working. We act outraged that in 2010, the Supreme Court sided with Citizens United and rules that corporations now have the same rights to political free speech as individuals. This is what opens the door for super PACs on limited contributions to candidates. This shouldn't surprise us. The Constitution's doing exactly what it was designed to do. It's protecting the interests of white landowning men. The Constitution is working. So, like, this is a perfect transition because... How many of us try to compartmentalize the dehumanization of indigenous peoples like as a, as a political topic when, it, when the root of the dehumanization of indigenous peoples is woven through the fabric of our nation and everything that we're built on? Uh, speaking of dehumanization, there was that story a few years ago, I think, of the Native American kids, the boys who went to went on a college tour, campus tour in was it Arizona, I believe, and got the cops called on them by some white woman who believed that they didn't belong there. You know, we'll post this on the show notes too, the statistics of Native people seeking higher education in this country is very low. 
right? Because because of all the oppression, we continued to put on these communities. And so the fact that there were these two young men, two children, well, one of them was over 20, he was an older student, on this tour, by themselves without a chaperone, right? Without a parent to stick up for them. They were brothers, correct? They were brothers. And they got the police called on them because they looked threatening because they were following around a group of white people, right? And so who were supposed to be there. And Native people in Arizona aren't supposed to be there. So anyway, I think that resolved um, in their fever. I think the school offered a private tour for them and, and not necessarily rolled out the red carpet, but tried to make amends for that. Oh, and I, a group of white people, what you mean is the descendants of white landowning men. Them. When you think about it. Yeah. I mean, this is discluding whatever, you know, biracial elements there may be. I mean, but, but we're saying the, the reason why the white woman called the police on them is inside this fabric I was talking about. And so if you're, you know, yeah, we could, that's just the tiniest list. Like we could go down the line. What about that issue that you all were talking about earlier about the women who have disappeared? Um, so there is an epidemic currently happening in the U S a silent epidemic. Cause it's certainly not talked about enough, um, of native American women who are going missing, um, or who are found murdered, um, and there is not enough being done to figure out what is going on and to stop it. There's not even enough being done to, to say we care about this issue. You said it's hidden. The, um, so here, here's how it's hidden. In 2016, the FBI's National Crime Information Center, which tracks missing, missing persons, pegged the number of missing Native American and Alaska Native women and girls at 5,712, and this is undoubtedly low. However, this article says that only 116 women in the FBI's accounting were already logged into the Department of Justice's Federal Missing Persons Database. The database that when you call the FBI, they, they, they put your missing child in until it's found that database. And why were they not put into that database, Pooja? Well, because the fabric of our institutions are, are threaded with racism. And so there is a tribal access program um, that had to be passed in 2015 to, in effect, give tribes access to put information in that database. Jesus fucking Christ. Say that year again? 2015. And what's more? What year is it? On, as of 2019. Only 47 of the 573 federally recognized tribes have access um, and, are part and are participating. Okay, so we could, okay, so Anju is burning. She needs to talk. I just want to point out that is also just the federally recognized tribes, and there are many, many, many tribes that are not even federally recognized. <clears throat> okay, what? My my anger first. So, <laughs> so, okay, okay. As he said in that te that clip that we just played for you, we are shocked that women are paid seventy cents on the dollar. We are shocked that there is a gross disparity in the groups that are placed in jails. We are shocked that our campaign finance system is fucked. And that people have less, our voices are less and less and less and less in the favor of, as he said, white landowning men. 
And it, it and the Constitution works. The Constitution works for that. Like what we are picking at, our lack of inequality, our lack of reproductive rights. Think, pick any issue. Pick any issue that grinds our gears. At like this is this is the middle of the iceberg. This you know when you know, you look at traumas, traumas are the tip of the iceberg, and we have the little symptoms of the of the trauma, and then you go down, and there's this giant big ass iceberg underneath it. We're talking about the things that are killing us right now, like um, women not having access to you know control over their bodies, things like that. We're that's I can't. It's very hard to say. But that's the middle of the iceberg. We have to go all the way down, all the way down to where this began. And it really, 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 really began with the Constitution being made for white male landowners. That's it. I I think we've talked on this podcast before, probably in private, I don't know, about how Another way we marginalize people is the forced sterilization of Native women in this country in the 1960s and 1970s via tubal ligation and hysterectomies by the conspiracy between, what's the group called? The Indian Health Services? Are you shitting me right now? No. That that comes, what, 100 years after the assimilation schools where the U.S. government kidnapped children off of tribal lands from their families and put them in the poorest conditioned boarding schools, abused them, and forced them to assimilate, forget their language, forget their heritage, and then release them back out into America because the Native peoples would not buckle from their tradition. And then slaughtered Indigenous people, the Indigenous warriors that came after them to get their children back, killed them. To this day, there are Things that when we do archaeology and discovery that the army is returning bones to families of native children found buried on the grounds where these schools used to be. That still happens today. When we say trail of tears, when we refer to that, you're like, oh, it's, it was so sad. It happened every day. It happens today. We just talked about those boys. Well, and the Native Americans are also, I think, themselves would say, we talk about the trail of tears as a specific one, exactly. one specific thing, but there were many trails of tears yeah. um, over many decades. So yeah, this is this is a long history. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me transition this back to Mark Charles and where does he think that we start to heal? Like what what do we need to do to start to try and heal this? I had a whole rant about the Dallas Cowboys and Washington team that play on Thanksgiving every year to uphold the narrative that there was harmony at one point. But it's always the Cowboys defeats the, mm-mm. you know, yeah. that's bullshit. That's how, again, the tapestry of America is woven in racial prejudice. <laughs> it's okay. So where do we begin to heal? Well, I think it starts with moments like we had this morning where it was like, you guys, we got to watch this, this TED talk. You know, uh, like, I don't think our, cons- we don't consume indigenous stories nearly enough and on um the podcast all my relations there's an episode about appropriation that points out when you do an image search for 
African-Americans, you may see smiling people in Barack Obama. If you do Asian-Americans, smiling people with family. If you search right now Google Images for Native Americans, you will only see historical pictures of Native Americans. Because we have no concept. Or maybe the odd famous one, Wilma Mankiller, you know, the actors. Um, You may see that, but it's always steeped in historical context as if they don't exist right now. We have to, and I feel like we have scratched the surface because, well, we can only scratch the surface because like y'all said, we've lost so much of their history. We've lost it. Look at our history books and how the story has been passed down. We've got to set those on fire. Sorry. That's where my brain is setting things on fire right now. That's how mad I am. Um, like infiltrate the in, institution yes, infiltrate, and dismantle it from the for within. a school board and change shit. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> run for school board, get murdered by Pearson view or whatever, uh, companies in charge of standardized testing and at least have the campaign of, I would like the history books to be changed. That's how that narrative would go because corporate America, Seriously, though, the Texas uh, Board of Education really does have an incredibly outsized um, influence over how history is taught around the country. So for real, pay attention. Please pay attention to those elections. (laughs) Yes, local elections mean everything. So back to the Mark Charles thing, he specifically was talking about a truth and conciliation uh, commission, right? That that was the way to create a shared memory is to have an official conversation about what has happened about the real experience of native americans and while we're at it also african americans so we can really talk about the that shared memory as a baseline of where we started and how we fix it and this is something he talks about having occurred already in places like south africa rwanda in canada they've all had truth and reconciliation commissions to deal with their history it's something we haven't done here and we need to and that's why he came up with the term of conciliation instead of reconciliation Yes. And while we're at it, while the Truth Commission is doing its work, up your consumption of indigenous stories, indigenous writers, indigenous creatives. Go visit these museums that are, you know, potentially gathering dust because I don't think that we understand. We're not seeing them. And this is like part of the trauma. Like, this is part of the trauma of being in a culture who's not seen like trauma is trauma and and isolation is isolation. The quickest way to kill someone is to treat them like they don't exist. Do you think that a sign of improvement and conciliation is the growing list of States that no longer recognize Columbus day? 100%. We're not, we're getting there. We're not there there yet though. Um, I do think it's a really hopeful sign that how many of those states are places that we think of as being like Republican <laughs> or red states, you know, um, who we don't normally think of as being sensitive to these kinds of conversations and like the needs of indigenous people. But Louisiana, uh, Virginia, like I mean, these are places that have have made that switch. So I think that's that's really hopeful. Yes, and there is an entire list that we'll provide to you of the cities that have thus far officially claimed uh, the second Monday in October to be Indigenous Peoples Day. And just on this day, if you are listening and you haven't done this yet, post 
Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Look something up. Do something to celebrate the day. Speak with somebody whose heritage is of one of the many tribes on our land, uh, which, again, their land. (laughs) Um, And continue the work of seeing these people. Continue the work of seeing the indigenous because I think that is, one more time, it's a shared, our shared memory of how our land was created like that this is this is how we heal so the lieutenant governor of minnesota lieutenant governor peggy flanagan is the highest ranking native american woman elected to executive office in the united in united states history and she i believe used to be a kindergarten teacher and she um you know bucked the trend of teaching columbus in school and she said that the, and she was elected, I think, it, this year. So she's the first and the highest ranked, right, to lieutenant governor. So she said, the biggest piece of resistance to Indigenous Peoples Day is just the miseducation of people who were taught something in school about Columbus and then as they get older, hear a different story. So it's that thing we've talked about. You don't want to recognize that you're wrong. So you find the evidence that shows you're right. And if you only look for American exceptionalism, you don't see the dark side of that. You don't see the truth. You know, you only see what you want to see. So while we're on this topic, let's switch to a more contemporary version of erasure and also things that indigenous people are doing. Um, There's been a lot of talk on the front of environmental change and climate activism about Greta Thunberg, who came here from Sweden and spoke at the United Nations uh, last week, which was awesome, but um, but I'll just focus on the Swedish girl has sort of erased the fact that there are people right here who have been doing this, um, indigenous people who have been doing the same thing for quite some time. So Flint still has dirty water because people refuse to listen to Mariana Kopany, right? <laughs> so she just came out with a water filter, by the way. Right. So Which I love that she's like, I've been doing this since I was eight and I'm 12 now. <laughs> Wear Your Voice Mag, which is, if you like independent media, I would suggest you get it. If you're looking for places to um, broaden your horizon, get more woke, so to speak, as the young the young youths say. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good resource. But they just published an article five, six days ago from when we were recording about 19 youth climate activists of color who are fighting to protect the earth. And they are mostly native people of their country, right? And so there are people of all walks of life, but there is Autumn Pelletier, and she also addressed the UN General Assembly on World Water Day. She is an internationally recognized advocate for clean water at the age of 13 years old. She is the chief water commissioner of the Anish Hinnebeck Nation and a member of the Wemikong First Nation at 13 years old. And because she's a child and a woman of color, people aren't listening to her. Mm. That just makes me insane. When we posted on, I think Pooja, you posted the link on our Facebook. Check out these girls that you don't see 
that you're not seeing for whatever reason. I think it's the the way that the story is wrapped by media. It's it's who gets seen via news story. Oh, look at this girl who was alone. They're, we're not discounting what Greta has done, and she's of course amazing, and especially she shuts down um, bullies like there's no tomorrow like a champion and you know and the meme alone of her reacting to the current occupant of the white house walking into the un is oh my god yes yes, everyone is everyone's feeling but the side eye of autumn addressing the un general assembly is good as well (laughs) also autumn was nominated this year for the international children's peace prize wow yeah so part of the trauma includes what is been done to our earth in the name of what again white male landowners i can't remember which activist said it but it's true it's america was built on a white supremacist capitalistic economic system and that's when you say the patriarchy that's short for what i just said (laughs) okay that's the patriarchy on the one hand it's now a time for everybody to signal boost Native voices because they have been championing the environment since 1492 and and previously to that, but especially since people have come down and start cutting down trees and building dams and mining lands and stealing women and spreading disease. Since then, at the very least, they've been talking about environmental protectionism. And I hope now that time is running out that we use this time to signal boost the voices who have been in the movement from the jump. We're going to do just that. We're going to listen to the voice of someone who has indigenous roots. And this is a person who, if you mind the sound quality of it, Anju and I were at South by Southwest this past, uh, earlier this year. And we met a young man who you'll hear in the interview talks about how he is an a, and he took our own, uh, piece and turned it on its head. What makes him a shitty Indian? And what he is actually talking about is his indigenous roots. It was just a great example of exactly what we're talking about. We need to listen. And uh, Anju and I, um, and our, my friend Allison was there as well, got to listen to him tell us his story and what it was like growing up. And there's a little bit of, a, you know, his talk of assimilation and how kind of like as he grew up, he uh, decided he wanted to tap into his heritage a lot more. So we wanted you to check that out right now. I want to introduce to you our new friend, Alex. Hello. Alex. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Maybe it was a vibe. Maybe it was, it was fate. But Alex somehow, in conversation, shared with us that he has an interesting background. What is that, Alex? I am Lipan Apache and English. So a lot of conflicting, a lot of conflicting things going on. Okay, first of all, first of all, you all know how we feel about being Columbus. But now we're talking with someone who has actual indigenous blood. So we have to ask the question we ask everyone who's on our podcast. But we're going to switch things up a little. We're going to switch things up a little. Alex, what makes you a shitty Apache? <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't like going outside. Um, I, I don't like the sun. 
Um, I have no connection to nature because I live in a city with a million people and I never go camping. Uh, oh my God. I feel like this just makes you a shitty Austinite. <laughs> Which I say is also a shitty Austinite because I also do not like going outdoors. Okay, so how much of that is you being a shitty Austinite and how much of it is like legit you being a shitty Apache? I think they're parallel in tandem with each other because most Austinites are pretty in tune with the universe and one with the nature. Uh, the nature. The nature. Not just nature in general. The nature. You know. The religious being. Yeah. Mother nature. Okay. Oh. Well, um, obviously we're going with the flow here. Like, I think we met Alex and we were like, we're recording you. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's exactly how it went. Yeah, so um, I thought your story was very interesting, and we were talking about, like, the fact that Andrew and I are Indian, but you're called Indian. Do you have any feelings about that? So so many. Uh, well, do you care to expand? Yeah, of course. Uh, I actually, like, took the liberty of not allowing myself to be called Native American or Indian, uh, I just, I say, when I'm referring to what you would call Indians or Native Americans, I say indigenous people because I want it to be a very stark, very heavy reminder that, you know, we were the first people here and there is a very... Hold on. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, there's a very dark history that goes into uh, being being indigenous and like a lot of the things that I grew up not knowing uh, were a lot of cultural guilt on my family's side. They wanted me to be as whitewashed as possible, which is kind of the way I am today is like I have a lot of conflicting things where I want to get back to my roots and understand where I came from. And uh, I watched John Leguizamo's uh, history yes. of, of North America or history of America. It's Fantastic. Like title. Yes. Like, yeah. It's, it's very harrowing, like listening and learning about all the things that I had no idea about. Um, and now that I'm reading more about it and getting more in touch with it, it's 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 understandable why anyone that had any sort of association with their families would want that to be kind of swept under the rug and hidden because they don't want to have to own that their family had anything to do with it. That's fine. I understand it happened a long time ago, but at the same time, those that don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And if we don't pay attention to the way that things happened in the past, it's very easy to fall back into and repeat those steps. So, Word. Oh, my God. And that's not the only thing that we heard from Alex today. Question, Alex, and you actually spoke to this earlier. Yes. You're in America. You actually pass as white. Yes. Yet you've experienced racism in a very niche way. You were explaining this to us earlier. Um, repeat what you said to us that you had. You had a couple experiences you shared. So growing up, any time I went to a family gathering, I was always kind of the outcast kid because I was very white growing up. Um, I was not fluent in Spanish. My dad didn't teach me Spanish for a reason. He wanted me to be Americanized. Uh, he's third generation, so that's like the Americanized generation where you're fully in the fold of all of the culture. Um, so I was already outcast in my own family on the Hispanic side, but 
growing up, I actually had some very... They're from Arkansas, bless their hearts. They don't know any different. Um, and we're all about education, so I tried to do what I could. But I was 13. Um, it was actually Thanksgiving. The whole family was together, and we were all in the living room together. And my uncle, whose name is Rebel, um, praise be. Ah. Uh, everybody's cringing in the room. Um, he told me to turn my hat around. Uh, I was wearing a ball cap backwards because it, quote unquote, made me look like a wetback. And that was the first time in my life where I felt Hispanic. Um, and it was in the worst way possible. Jesus fucking Christ. Andrew? I don't know what to say to that other than Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> um, we talked about this, um, the in, like Indianness. We talked about how you know Andrew and I feel like shitty Indians, yeah. but we're creating our own sense of what that even means to be Indian. We didn't quite reach the expectations of our parents. But you're like several generations removed as an indigenous person, a person with indigenous roots. How are you defining your your parts of yourself that are indigenous, that are discounted and that you feel like have been like jabbed at? Like, how are you owning that part of yourself now? The biggest thing has got to just be education for me. Um, I've really really taking a deep dive into learning about the history of the way that everything happened in the regions that my family is from um you know from early uh, early europeans coming here to you know the reservations and where we are now and i think a lot of that is important to not only preserve my ancestors culture and really respect where we come from but also to educate myself on you know why does my family have certain feelings about being Native American or indigenous or Indian or Hispanic even? You know, they, Mexican, that's, a, that's another big word in our family that we don't really use. It's just uh, that we are Americans and, like, everyone wants to be um, part of the mainstream. And so the way that I grew up, I actually, my, da my dad, uh, talking about experiencing racism, my dad actually told me when I was... 15 or 16 I was taking I was a freshman I was in ROTC I was taking a girl who was a really good friend of mine for several years uh, to the military ball that we had every year and they drove because I, I couldn't drive at the time so we go to pick her up and her dad meets my dad and three days later we weren't we weren't dating anymore it was it had to be cut off because his dad met my dad who was very Hispanic looking, like very, very uh, indigenous looking. And uh, that was like the hard line for him. So he told me, you know, I'm very glad that you are as white as you are because you're not going to run into a lot of the racism that uh, I had to deal with growing up. And it kind of all started to make sense. So the older I get, the more I want to take that back and be proud of where I've come from. Uh, my last name is actually Walter, but it shouldn't be. Uh, my ancestral last name is Montez. Um, I'm looking into the process of changing it back because I want, I want, I want to own it. Like I, I want to be who I am. I, I don't want to feel like I need to be whitewashed or any different version of myself other than the way that I want to be. And that's, that's a hard line for me. I just, I want to be respected for 
where I come from. Well, I respect you. That was a very interesting story. Like, kudos to you and being like very aware of your culture and where you come from and like owning who you are and connecting. I mean, how many people that you're going to talk to in your lifetime will like hear you talk about your background and maybe feel connected to their background. I just think that's very important. So it's interesting because the more I talk about it, whoa, 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 whoa. It's very interesting. Why? Because the more I talk about it with my friends, um, the more I think that they've started to dig into their past too. I think it's a generational thing almost like we kind of want to know where we came from and I don't know if it's just a symptom of being a certain age at a certain point in time or just you know a widespread feeling of wanting to know where your roots are because we're all getting to this point I feel like culturally where it's not shameful to be a certain thing and the mainstream is changing the mainstream is no longer mainstream it's more inclusive thankfully uh, unless you're talking about the cultural blur, which that is a whole another story that we could do another podcast on. It's like True. insanely ridiculous. But I, I just I don't think anybody should be disassociated. It's going to make you more interesting, not less interesting, to be from somewhere else. The more people you have from different walks of life, the more perspective you have, and the better you can make all of that come together. The walks of life will coalesce and become one deep dude <laughs> very deep very deep i mean like I, I andrew and i have like gone to places to eat with puja and we've we've had meals together in several places we have a, lots of great meals and lots of places typically picked up by puja because she's the foodie of all of us but you're hands down one of the most interesting servers people that we've met and so, like, thank you so much for, like, talking to us and, like, uh, being so authentic and real with us. Like, really awesome. Alex. It was wonderful to talk with everyone. So he was incredible to talk to. And out of nowhere, we didn't even expect that we would. That was serendipitous. That was a like, lot. Yeah. We've been sitting on that little bit of audio to find the right time to, to bring it to you guys because I think it's apt this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just... Again, that's one. More. Find more. And again, we wanted to wish to all of our fellow human beings Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. And we hope you have one too. And until next time, this has been Miranda. Anju. And Pooja. We came with love and courage. With the Jilted Indian Podcast.